Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. With permission, I share this story. I've never shared it before, uh, but with permission, I share this story about my wife, Patty, who uh, somewhere around 2001, 2002, I told you in 2011, my battle for a short little period of time with depression, and um, in 2001, 2002, uh, my wife woke up in the middle of the night, one of those nights, and uh, I thought she was having a heart attack. Her heart was beating a million miles an hour, her eyes were bugged out, she was freaked out, and I thought for sure that night, just by her countenance and her look and her physical manifestations, I thought, I really thought that night I was going to lose my wife. We ended up calling the ambulance. The ambulance came, and of course, they don't come alone anymore. How many know that? They come with fire trucks and police cars, and I mean, they just bring everybody to the party. Our kids were freaked out. The neighbors are freaked out. Dogs are howling. I mean, it was rough, and, and what we found out once she went to the hospital, we found out later that night, or later that morning, I should say, that she had a full-on panic attack. Now, at that time in our life, 2001, 2002, I had never even heard of a panic attack. I didn't know there was such a thing. And I know I'm slow, but, you know, it just seems like panic attacks and anxiety have gained ground and notoriety. How many know what I'm saying? And so we found out that she just had this full-on, I mean, to the point of passing out kind of a panic attack. What we found out was very interesting through that season, but as we look back on it and know what we know now, we look back on that season, we had been going through some things in ministry that we had just become accustomed to. And my wife, you know, I usually have a, a board of elders and some other pastors on our team that I would talk through things with, uh, but not recognizing that my wife didn't have a place to vent some of the things that were going on. And we had just come through a season, despite all the other regular things that go on in church life and in just general life. How many know, everybody, life can just generally be hard from time to time, right? I know God's on the throne, but how many would agree life can still be hard, right? Yes, God is good. I know. Preach it to me. I know God's good, but life sometimes is hard. Can I get an amen on that? And so some of the things that led up to that, looking back on, we gained insight was we had one of our elders who his wife was a dominant lady in our congregation, misses everybody. Everybody loved her, joyful, bubbly. Um, well, this lady committed suicide and it was just it was a very horrific way of committing suicide and Patty and I were the first on the scene and uh, trying to console uh, kids and trying to console my friend and it was just a, a really gruesome scene and only a couple of days had passed then a few days later a teenage girl in our church also committed suicide at the same time, the pressure of raising millions of dollars for a building program we were in, a good friend of mine who actually had uh, the world record of being the world's strongest man had just stopped by my house, was getting ready to travel to go and do some high school assemblies around the nation. And uh, as he left my house, got in an accident, and he died on the scene. It wasn't only a couple of days after that that one of our pastor friends got off an airplane, grabbed a suitcase, was heading to preach in Africa, and died on the tarmac of a sudden heart attack. And there's a number of other things. We were in the middle of building. I'm getting stressed out just repeating those things. We were in the middle of building a house. And my wife, if you know her at all, my wife, the thing I love so much is she's just as steady. I don't have to worry about coming home to a Jezebel demon woman, you know. I mean, she's just always like this. And, and for my personality, that's a real blessing, everybody. And what I realized uh, behind all that, I realized this, is that, and, and she would share this story with you, during all that time, she didn't have somebody to say, here's what I'm going through. She was taking on everyone else and trying to comfort everything else and, and all the other pressures. 
while I'm the kind of person that vents and rants and rages and all those kind of things, I didn't know that she was just holding all those hurts, all those pains, all that grief, all that loss, all that tension. And we came to realize that that's maybe why the Bible says to be angry but sin not. Because things like anger or emotions, everybody, God gave us emotions. We should have emotions. We just shouldn't have emotions have us. How many know what I'm saying, right? And, and so the Bible says be angry and sin not. It's kind of like the little teapot, you know. I mean, you got to vent somewhere or you're going to explode. And, and, and she, at that time, didn't really, uh, wasn't sharing with anybody else, trying to keep different pressures from me. But how many know talking to a good friend is like venting? It's letting the steam out, right, everyone? And she had nobody to talk to. And, and through that, we learned a lot of lessons, and some of those I'll plug into tonight's final part of this. But anxiety and depression, they have a kind of a complicated relationship. Now, I was, she was blessed that it didn't slip into depression like what I described earlier about my life. But that anxiety, we learned a lot in that. And anxiety and depression, they can get complicated. In fact, the chance of acquiring depression is much higher if anxiety already exists in our lives. And, and I think there's some things that we can talk about tonight that will help that. Um, but one can easily trigger the other. Now, I want you to get a visual of depression for a moment. Because the word depression actually means push down or depress. In fact, let me give it to you this way. It's an area that is sunk below its surroundings. Have you ever been able to see that just on someone's countenance? They're just sunk below their surroundings. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It, 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 they're, they're just pressed down. That's exactly what was happening in Patty's life, not on purpose. Uh, it was just, I'm, I'm going to take that event, and I don't have time to really even deal with it, because before I wake up the next morning, another event. And before I get through that day, another event. How many know life can just start coming at you, and you don't even have time to process? You just take it, stuff it down, and you go to the next thing, and stuff it down, and go to the next thing. That's why last week I preached so hard about we all have to have a Sabbath in our life. And when we start pushing down the hurts, and when we start pushing down the guilt, or or the pain, or the abuse, or the abandonment, watch this everybody, or our genuine feelings with a fake smile, and we keep pushing those things down, all we're doing is we're depressing those things, but eventually they're going to show up, because life keeps happening, ding, 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 ding. remember that, ding, 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 pow, all of a sudden, Something is going to trigger and it's going to, all that stuff you've been stuffing down, you've been pushing down the hurt, you've been pushing down the pain. I talked about this a little bit and I don't want to get too rabbit trail, but one of two things are generally what happens. Unresolved hurt can turn into anger or bitterness and that's what happens when we shove those unresolved hurts down. That can come out in anger where we explode. I'm not going to talk about that right now but other times we can take hurts and unresolved issues and press them down and they come out in anxiety and fear and that's when we implode anger is exploding how many know that hurts everyone in the surrounding area Depression is imploding, and both of them are dangerous. Both of them will cause the, the adrenaline in us to fight or flight. How many of you have ever heard that? Now, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'm going to put it in my own terms. I think when anger comes out, it's when the fight is ready. I think when, when anxiety uh, comes out, it's when the flight is ready. So when I'm angry, I want to fight. When I'm anxious, I want to flight, but when I'm depressed, I want to freeze. Those are usually the three things that go. I want to fight, I want to flight, or I want to freeze. I want to pull the shades down and get under the covers and never come back out to this evil world we live in. And there are several types of depression. I've been trying to hit a few of them throughout this thing, so... Uh, let's hit a few. Uh, I, again, I, I'm not real. I'm just going to give you some real glimpses. And the reason I do this is we got to make sure we don't try. If you see every problem as a nail, the only tool you will look for is a hammer. 
And, and how many know anxiety and depression can come from a lot of different places, stem from a lot of different reasons, and we got to be careful not to just to give a blanket Christian answer to complex questions. Come on, help me on that one. Because there are Christians that will just simply tell you, just pray more. <laughs> You just need to fast more. I've fasted until I look like a Q-tip, you know, but I still need a breakthrough. Right, everybody? Okay. So there is clinical depression. Uh, this is a very serious uh, level of depression. This person that's in clinical depression, they need immediate support. They're, they, they are usually in that realm of thinking about, does my life even matter? They need immediate support. Number two, is there is uh, manic or bipolar depression. It's, it's basically, I'm just giving really gross, uh, sweeping uh, overviews of these, but it's extreme mood swings. And I know it's, they're all more complicated than this, but it's extreme mood swings from, from excessive highs to, I mean, very despairing lows, okay? Then there's this one. Uh, number three is postnatal depression. That one doesn't get as much attention. But this is not the baby blues, which can occur like, uh, you know, like three weeks after childbirth. Postnatal can occur two, to, two weeks to two years after birth. Come on, husbands, have a little more sensitivity. All right, number four. Here's one I told you I'd talk about is sad. Has, has anybody ever just been sad? Let, come on, let's be on. Has anybody ever just been sad and you can't identify why? Anybody else like, what is my problem? Like, why am I sad? Everything's good, right? This is actually uh, something that we in the Pacific Northwest might deal with more. People in Alaska, people in Washington, uh, because it's a real thing. It stands for seasonal, do I have that? Yeah, seasonal affective disorder. It's when the days are gray. There's no vitamin D. There's no sunshine. And forever, yeah, forever. Like right about starting tomorrow until sometime in Easter, that, that's kind of what it is, all right? And uh, so I hope you enjoyed today, everyone, all right? So it's seasonal affective disorder. A lot of people, it's just, man, I got to get out of these gray days. And it's a real thing. It is a real thing, everybody. So don't disqualify and say, oh, come on, all right? And then there is, I wanted to spend a lot of time on number five, is the blues, I, I, I live most of my teenage years in the Mississippi Delta. We know all about the blues. Come on now. Woo, I like me some blues music. I can only listen to it for about 30 minutes before I start getting really depressed, though, all right? But blues music, and there's some, there's some real interesting, you can Google it, very interesting history about why it's called the blues. But just for the sake of my message, the blues is kind of situational. Somebody said something mean to me, or it's just kind of the circumstance I'm in right now. Somebody was rude. They wouldn't let me merge on the highway. They cut in front of me in the grocery store, ruined my whole day. You know, it's situational. Now, the reason I say these is because if depression or these different uh, things are not diagnosed right, we will use the wrong, uh, we will use the wrong process or the wrong treatment. Come on, I see this happen in church all the time. And I know the answer is for all Christians it's supposed to be about pray about it. I know that's the go-to answer. Come on, everybody. Or read that refrigerator verse you have on your refrigerator. But how many know sometimes you need more than that? I know somebody's going to argue with me, but just hang with me for just a minute. Because sometimes <laughs> you're fasting and praying, but according to what we've learned about Elijah, you should be sleeping and eating. Come on, help me now. Don't get too spiritual on me here. So, I, I shouldn't even touch this one because it has a whole heap of theology behind it. But sometimes we're taking medication when what we really need is an encounter with God. Come on. Now, I'm not against medicine, okay? I'm not, uh, I'm not against coming and praying at the cross. But sometimes I just want to look at you and say, go home and take a nap already. You weren't supposed to be running at the speed of a computer, all right? Now, remember I've said this, that we are made in the image of our God, our Lord and Savior. And He is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who made us in His image. So we are a three-part being also. So we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. When we're born, our body is alive. 
Our soul is alive. Our soul, sometimes the Bible will use the word heart, but our soul is where our emotions are. It's where our moods are. It's where our psyche lies. It's, 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 all of the, it's our appetites, the things we want to do, the things that we're hungry for. So that's our soul. And then there's our spirit. So just to put it into context, when we are physically born, the body's alive, the soul is alive, but the spirit is dead. Right, everybody? That's why Jesus came and told us that unless a man is born again, a spirit comes alive, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what happens when we get saved, our spirit man immediately is born and renewed. Our soul is in the process of becoming new. That's why the Bible over and over, Paul tells us all the time, uh, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, right? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, pulling down strongholds and imaginations. That's your mind, your thinking, your emotions. So your soul is saved. But how many know, I mean, excuse me, your spirit is born again. But how many know sometimes your soul needs a little time to catch up? Come on, I, don't let me call you out. I got examples on you guys, all right? Okay, so your soul, your appetites, just because you're born again doesn't mean all your appetites change the same day. That's why spiritual growth, transformation, discipleship is important, okay? So the spirit is made new, so you're no more saved today than you were the day you gave your life to Christ. There's no seniority, okay? You're saved. Your soul is becoming new. That's kind of the process of sanctification. And your body, one day when Jesus comes with a new heaven and new earth, will be made new. Thank you, Jesus. Most of you won't recognize me in heaven because I'm going to have an afro. I've already put in my request. I want an afro. I don't care what you think about him. I'm going to have an afro. That's my request to Jesus, all right? So your spirit is made new, your soul is becoming new, and your body one day will be made new. The reason I say all this is because nearly two-thirds of depressed people don't get the proper treatment. Two-thirds of people wrestling with depression don't get the proper treatment. And fighting depression can be a, painfully, a painful thing. In fact, recent studies of more than 11,000 individuals found this. They found depression to be more physically and socially disabling than, watch the list, it was more physically and socially disabling than arthritis, diabetes, lung disease, chronic back problems, hypertension. In fact, the only more dis uh, disabling medical problem was advanced coronary heart disease. That's the only thing that was worse than this deep depression that we're talking about. Okay, let me give you a couple other little things, and we're going to get back into the Word of God. So, number one, I got three points for you tonight. You guys ready? Here they are. Number one is how do we help others? Because everybody in the room isn't struggling with this, but you don't have to walk around too much this coming week to bump into somebody that is. So how do we help others? We're always talking about doing life together, so, but what happens when we do life together and somebody in that together group is struggling with this? Let me just give you a couple highlights. Number one is support them. Just, just, just support them. Um, just, just put an arm around them and say, look, we're going to get through this thing together. I'm riding with you. Ride or die. I'm with you, man. Come on. I got your back. I'm going to be with you. You call me and mean it when you say that. Right? Okay, so I'm going to support you. Number two is connect them. And the reason I put this in here is because one of the things that I've noticed about depression, and even in my studies on depression, depression in one of its simplest forms, depression is like the feeling of disconnectedness. If you've ever wrestled with depression, it feels like you're all alone. It feels like nobody understands. Nobody is it just, yeah, I could call, but they don't get it. Because the enemy is trying to isolate you. Come on. I know you haven't ever dealt with it, but say amen for your friend that you know, okay? All right. So, so connect with them. Stay connected. Number three is make sure you accept them. Because there is nothing worse than puking your guts out to somebody and they're like, whoa, I wasn't prepared for all that, okay? Accept them. Um, uh, I, I, when I say accept them, it means you can see the worst in somebody but still believe the best in them. Come on now. Everybody needs one person that can see the worst in you and still believe the best in you. My wife has seen the worst in me, but she still believes the best in me. I'm riding with her. Come on, girl. All right? Number four is listen. 
Come on, men, we need a little help with this one usually. Listening is not fixing. <laughs> that was a good baritone amen. All right. I mean, listening is not fixing, men. It took me a few years into marriage to recognize this. She's not asking me to fix nothing. She wants me to shut up and say, yes, dear, how did that feel, dear? And really mean those things. Come on, ladies, that was your chance right there, okay? All right, so listen, don't fix. And genuinely ask questions like, describe how you feel. Men, I know that's a stretch for you. Come on, buck up a little bit. How, how, does it, how do you feel? Tell me what that feels like the best you can. Because what people in depression are desperate for is somebody to somehow understand a little bit of what they're feeling. What they're feeling. Number five is confidentiality. We say this all the time around here, especially as it pertains to life groups, is you're only as healthy as your secrets. So you've got to have a place where you can share your secrets and have confidentiality in that. And I, I want to say this again before we end the series. I want to remove the stigma about depression. I, I hate in the church world when somebody's discouraged or depressed that we have a stigma on them. Because we often view depression or anxiety as somebody being weak or somebody being lazy. But here's what is interesting to me. We don't look down on somebody that has a broken leg. We don't look down on somebody that just got diagnosed with cancer. And yet that's part of the same being, the same body. Something's broken and something needs to be fixed. Come on, are you guys hearing me today? Okay, so Elijah has been our case study. And we're going to go back to 1 Kings and, and check out some things. But before we do, I want to take you to this verse in, in, in James chapter number 5 because I find it very interesting. And, and I want to use this verse for a particular reason. Let me read it to you first. It says this, Elijah, he's the guy that was facing depression, right everyone? So here's what James, James the brother of Jesus, wrote about Elijah, looking back on Elijah. He said, Elijah was, was a human being, watch this, with a nature, with a soul, with emotions, come on now, as we have. Now the reason I bring this verse up, and then it goes on, the Amplified Bible always has like a parenthetical statement that tries to describe that more with feelings, affections, and all those kind of things. But I love that he has the nature as we have. He has the emotions as we have. Because some people would love for you to believe that if you had enough faith, your emotions wouldn't be broken. If you had enough faith, then you wouldn't be depressed. If you had enough faith, if you loved God more, Come on, everybody. It's not about you trying to love God more. When you're depressed, you don't have enough energy to get out of bed, much less stirring up more love for God. It's not about you loving God more. It's about you being able to accept God's love for you more. Come on, everybody, right? And the reason I bring this up is because when somebody in, in their foolishness tries to condemn another brother or sister in the Lord for being discouraged or depressed, um, listen, if this guy didn't have enough faith, then nobody does. Elijah showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the most important prophet of the Old Testament, in my opinion, because of that. He stopped rain for three years, everybody. That's some faith right there. He gets up in front of 450 prophets and calls fire down from heaven. Do you know anybody that's done that? I don't think you do. I don't know nobody with that much faith in Mount Vernon. Come on now. And so Elijah, it wasn't a lacking of faith. Don't let anybody ever condemn you and tell you you don't have enough faith. That's why you're going through a tough time. It's then that you need faith to get through that tough time. Come on, can I get an amen on that one, right? All right, so that's the first thing I want you to hear tonight. My second thing is, is I want to take a little closer look before we leave Elijah behind at the symptoms. We, haven't, we talked about what brought him into depression. We talked last week about what brought him out. But I'd like us for a moment to really consider the symptoms. The reason this is important is I want you, as we read through these, I want them to be the red flags that you gauge your life with. Because if we don't gauge our life, all of a sudden we can be a little ways down the road before we realize, uh-oh, something's wrong. The reason I was able to tell you that last year I started seeing the symptoms that I had in 2011 is because I went through what I went through in 2011. It took me a long time to recognize and diagnose the issues. 
but I was able to diagnose the symptoms a lot sooner that kept me from going down that road. Does that make sense? So let's look at 2 Kings 19 again, and starting in verse number 2, and uh, I'm going to skip around as you'll see by the references. Okay, so we've read some of this. Just watch all the yellow words, and then I'll put them in a chart for you. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah, watch the yellow words. He was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself, he's alone, he's by himself. He went a day's journey into the wilderness. Uh, some translations say the desert, okay? It's a dry place. He came to a broom, broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might uh, die. I've had enough. He's suicidal. Watch. He said, take my life, suicidal. I've had enough. That's like being overwhelmed. Take my life. That's the level of suicidal. I'm no better than my ancestors. There, sometimes there's generational issues that you're dealing with. Okay? Um, then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. He's exhausted. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I don't know if I have any more. I love that. Yeah. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, watch this, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. There's that aloneness. I'm the only one. When you start feeling like I'm the only one, man, the enemy has you right where he wants you. I'm the only one. You, you think If you think we push life groups around here because we need something else for you to do, no, it's to help you never feel like I'm the only one. I never want you to feel like I'm the only one. Nobody understands, okay? I'm the only one, and now they are trying to kill me too. Okay, just put me my chart up. We just made this uh, right before service. Okay, so you might, I don't know if it'll come out. We just made this like literally two minutes before church, so it's a little bit small. But I want you to see this. Go back and read that 1 Kings 19. These symptoms are important. In verse number 3, we see Elijah was, had fear in his life. It said that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. So fear is a symptom. Number two, aloneness. Verse number four said he himself went on a day's journey. Remember, he left his servant behind. He should have never left the crowd behind. You need to be on life's journey with someone. Last week here, I talked about how important that journey is for us to be in together. And we mapped that out. That's what Next Steps is about, is helping to ensure that you're on a journey with somebody. Please don't. I'm glad you're in church, but please, 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 please don't do life alone. Okay, uh, aloneness. That's what got him because he could have had Paul had Silas. Hey, buddy, what's your problem? Silas had Paul. Right. We need somebody. Okay. Number three, uh, he was spiritually dry. Verse four in some translations says a desert. The one I just read said wilderness. But but he was into a desert when we're spiritually dry. Remember this devils roam in spiritually dry places. Devils roam in dark places. I talked about that in part number one. Spirit. Remember, where did the devil attack Jesus? Mm -hmm. The wilderness or the desert, dry place, okay? Uh, number four, he was overwhelmed. He said, I've had enough. That's in verse number four. Number five, uh, he, he had suicidal tendencies. He said, take my life in verse number four. Number six, uh, there's generational vulnerability. He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. I haven't, and the enemy will make you feel like this. Man, I'm no better than the way my parents were. I'm no better than my alcoholic grandfather. I'm no better than, and there's comparison, and there's generational things that you might be fighting against. Come on now, all right? I, <laughs> all of these need a message in themselves. Number seven is excessive tiredness. He lay down and went to sleep. If an angel is showing up with an angel food cake in front of me, I am not sleeping. I'm just telling you right now. If an angel is showing up saying, hey, I want to take you to, you know, for a Big Mac, I'm not going to sleep. You've got to be really tired to be falling asleep when an angel is at the campfire, you know? All right, number eight uh, is loss of appetite. That that's, can be a symptom of depression, loss of appetite. Number nine, uh, feelings of rejection. This is important. He said, I've been very zealous, and, and the Israelites have rejected you. I did all this, and it didn't work. 
I did all this stuff. I prepared this message. I greeted at the door. We made coffee. We preached the message. We sang the song. We watched the kids. We took the notes. And did it even matter? COVID hits and the Christian world went crazy. Did it even matter? Right? Okay, number, <laughs> nobody liked that little point. Okay, okay, number 10, feelings of aloneness. All right, verse number 10. He said, am I the only one left? Okay, here's where I want to camp for our last minutes. I want to try my best. I want you to lean into this piece because I want you to be aware of the triggers. And I'm going to talk about, uh, this is not an exhaustive list. Most of them are found in Elijah's life, but they're just the ones I felt God put on my heart. These are the triggers. Number one is fear. The triggers that might bring you into depression. Number one is fear. We've had suicide in 2020 was already in June what it usually averages in a full year. There was fear going on in our nation. A lot of fear. And fear has a tendency to trigger depression. And let me just say this. Church, please hear this. Never, ever, 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 ever criticize someone for being afraid. Don't get hyper-spiritual and criticize. Don't start quoting verses to them about perfect love casts out all fear. Don't preach. Don't use the Bible to beat somebody up. Don't pull a favorite verse out to beat somebody up because you have no idea where that fear, where that hurt, where that pain, where that... You have no idea. They're sitting in church, but you don't know what devils in hell they had to fight to crawl up in here and be in here. And what they need to be is love. Loved. Come on, everybody, right? Okay. So, uh, you have no idea. And I'll just share this with my, my, my fear that came in my life was because of a sense of rejection. I, I, I felt rejected as a kid. It carried into my adulthood, which went into some of the counseling that I talked to you about. I'll tell you where it stems from. I've shared this story before, so if you've heard it before, just bear with me. My, my dad, when my mom and dad were still married, when I was about four years old, my dad brought home a mini bike. I mean, no, you're a little young to be riding a mini bike at four. But you know, I I started early, everybody, all right? And so I was planning on being on Harleys by 13, so I had to start at 4. And my dad and I, we popped the wheelie under the carport. He was on the mini bike with me, and, it, and, and oil shot everywhere over the whole carport. And, it, and my mom had just opened the door, and my mom got furious at my dad, not at me. And, uh, and so my dad traded the uh, mini bike in, and a few days later, he brought home uh, a go-kart for me. Woo! He said, well, four wheels is probably better, all right? And so he had a helmet painted the same way the go-kart was painted, and he put me in the go-kart, and I jumped in the go-kart and ran down this gravel road of the driveway, and I smashed into a tree, broke a motor mount in the go-kart. Um, now... There's a lot of jokes we could say about that. And it probably didn't happen the way I'm getting ready to tell you it happened. But it's the way I remember it. It's the memories that haunted me for most of my life. It all stems back to the day I wrecked that go-kart into that tree and the motor mount broke. Because later that night, my mom and dad were having a knockdown, drag-out fight. Things were being thrown Words were being used. And later that evening, I see my dad putting his belongings into his old Ford Ranchero. And I remember my dad turning to me and said, Son, I'm going to be leaving now, and I don't know when I'll be seeing you again. My little five-year-old mind couldn't compute what in the world he was talking about. But I didn't know that I'd never see my dad again until I was a father myself. And so I grew up thinking, you know, if I just had done a better job, if I, if I hadn't wrecked the go-kart, then mom and dad wouldn't have fought. And if I hadn't wrecked the go-kart, then dad wouldn't have left. And if I hadn't wrecked the go-kart, dad would be here in some of the challenging times. And if I had just driven better, and I would have kept it between the lines. And so for the rest of my life, into my adulthood, into my ministry, I worked really hard at driving the bus just right. Driving the bus to make everybody happy, driving the bus to keep it in the lines, because I thought if I could do a good enough job, people won't reject me and people won't let me down. Come on, somebody. Fear will drive you into depression. Hmm. 
And if I hadn't had a breakthrough in this area of depression or in this area of rejection, I would have never been able to come back to Mount Vernon and plant a church. Because when I left, I left quietly. And whenever you keep your mouth closed about things, the devil will fill the narrative in. And rumors about Ken Hubbard are plenty, and you've probably heard some. You've probably heard things like, I embezzled money. That's a rumor. It's a lie. It didn't happen. You might have heard rumors that I had an affair. First of all, that's a lie. I never had an affair, because if I did, I wouldn't be standing right here. I'd be dead, everybody, all right? (laughs) Patty said, you got that right. And I knew those rumors were there, but I was able to come back because God helped me overcome the rejection. I no longer had to drive the go-kart just right. Come on, everybody, right? Number two, here's the second thing that might trigger depression in, in a life is the subject of grief. This is important because grief is a natural process of, lo- of loss. God gave us a season to grieve. In fact, if you read the Bible, the Bible says there's a season to grieve. But my question is, so the Bible says it's okay to grieve. There's a season to grieve, but there is nothing good in, in, in when you get stuck in a season. Come on now. How, how many know, it, we're getting ready to come into the raining season, right? But how many know we don't want to get stuck in that season? Anytime you get stuck in a season, nothing good happens. If it's always raining, then we have flood. If we get stuck in a season of like this summer and it's always given up, then we come into a drought. If you get stuck, the Bible talks about the woman that was caught in a season. For 12 years, she was caught with the issue of blood. She was caught in a season that was supposed to be a moment but continued for a long time. And anytime that something gets stuck in a season, it's unhealthy. This woman was in a long time she was unhealthy watch this this is why this pandemic has hurt so many people because what could have been just a season hello somebody it has gone on and on and on and on and the cycle just continues and nobody can see any light at the end of the tunnel and what right now during covid many experience what experts are now calling ambiguous grief ambiguous grief comes when we have no idea when this thing is over we have no idea even what normal will look like or what life will look like and you got to be careful there is a season to grieve but there also has to be a season to say okay it is what it is i got to get on with life i got to still praise my god i got to still show up to church i still got to love my family i still got to work my job come on somebody right Okay, number three, the third thing that could trigger uh, this is the feeling of helplessness. It's the feeling of helplessness. Again, not to override the horse of the pandemic, but many have felt like this through the whole pandemic. I'm just helpless. I don't know what else to do. One of the things I had to do in the middle of 2020 was instead of everything being bad, I had to sit down and write a list of all the good things that happened in 2020 because not everything was bad. Come on, the whole world didn't stink. My home didn't stink. My marriage didn't stink. Come on, everybody, right? And, and you might be saying, well, mine did. Well, find something that didn't. Because we can, we can get caught in, especially in a season that we're in, this feeling of hopelessness. Like, and often what happens when we can't do what we used to do, we lose the idea that we still have options, that there's something else to do. I hate it. I've, had, I've talked to you openly about different injuries that I've been exper- having to walk through this past year. And so some, somebody at the barbecue last week said, do you work out anymore? I wanted to punch him because I thought maybe he meant like I looked like I was weak or something. And uh, he said, do you even work out anymore with your knee and shoulder and elbow? And anyway, and, and I said, well, yeah, it just looks different now. See, I could have just given up and said, oh, what's the use But I had to say, what are my options? Those options aren't available to me anymore. So what are my new options? Come on now. You have options. You you have options. That's why you're still here. That's why you're still breathing. God didn't accidentally allow you to be born and living in 2020. He knew there would be a, a worldwide pandemic in 2021. And he allowed you because you have the strength and you have the power and you have the grace to be able to walk in this time. Come on. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So, so uh, yeah, number four, I got, let me do two more. Number four is the loss of purpose. The loss of per- this can make us feel useless and invisible. 
That's why sometimes when you go into nursing homes or you visit people that are retired, you'll, they're depressed. They don't have the same pep in their step because they've lost their sense of purpose. They feel invisible. They feel shut in and shoved away and unimportant and don't have a voice. But God has a plan and a purpose for you. One of the things I love that's happening right now in Radius since we've come back to church is grandmas and grandpas are showing up here. I love it. We used to be an average church of about 35 years old. I'm gra- glad 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 for some gray hairs come on because we need some grandmas and grandpas to help us know that everything's going to be all right oh child i've been through that i've been through worse than what we're going i come on now right it's a loss of purpose god has a plan and a purpose and so quit comparing yourself to others everybody's gone through something everybody is going through something come on now One of the things, when Patty and I were first married in the ministry, and she's done a ton of different uh, ministries in the church, but Patty used to be a little intimidated when we'd get around other pastor's wives. Some of the pastor's wives had pastor in front of their name. And they were talking about all these speaking engagements and all these big things. And for just a minute, uh, when we, just in our early ministry, she'd be a little intimidated because all these pastors' wives were doing all these looked like glamorous, huge things until she embraced her purpose. And her purpose is not what someone else's purpose is. And the vision God put on her life is not the vision that He put on somebody else's life. Come on, everybody. Until she embraced her purpose. And her purpose, she realized, I love it. We're supposed to be with some pastors and their wives this, this week. And uh, when we gather together, I love it now. Because all the pastors, wives, they'll talk about what they're doing. They'll, eventually they'll turn to her and I just smile. Because they'll say, so what do you do in the church? And now she's confident and say, my purpose is to minister to my husband. And that's the biggest ministry there is. Everybody comes up and compliments me, but I wouldn't be who I am without her knowing who, what her purpose is. Come on, everybody. Her purpose is to help me break generational curses her purpose has been to show me that there is a such thing as a godly family come on everybody and a godly marriage her purpose has to been raise godly kids that love jesus with all their heart and they love you and they love the church come on man her purpose is to have a listening ear and a voice of reason and god has a purpose for you it doesn't have to be in a spotlight to be a purpose but find your purpose in christ come on now and we'll help you. Come on the next steps. It's a shameless commercial. Come to help, Let us help you find your purpose. Your purpose is not to go to work and punch a time card. All that is is to put food on the table. But God created you for something more, come on, than to make gasoline or to cut down trees or to catch fish or to build airplanes. God has made you for something bigger than that. Come on. I'm not minimizing any of those things. God gives you a talent to make money and support your family. But is that all there is to this life? Come on. Jesus said, lay yourself treasures in heaven. Can I do the last one? You guys need to calm down a little bit. (laughs) Number five, the fifth thing that will trigger depression is guilt and condemnation. Who, perhaps more than anything else, guilt and condemnation. Because condemnation will cause you to want to hide in the cave. Shame will cause you to want to retreat and not see anybody and pull the window shades down. That's why I wanted to leave ministry because I had never dealt with the shame in my life. And shame, what shame is, is shame says to you that, man, I'm, an, I'm a problem. It's not about an issue. It's about, I'm a problem. It's not that I have a problem. I am the problem. It's shame. It's the voice of shame. And the devil is using it to sink so many people into the cave of depression. But whatever the accusation that you are, that you are bringing on yourself, God's grace is bigger. Don't you listen to the lie of the enemy. Please hear me. I'm closing with this. Don't you listen to the lie of the enemy. Paul, if you need some help with this, read Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Paul is dealing with, why do I do what I don't want to do? Has anybody ever felt like that? Anybody? Let me just see a hand. Anybody ever felt like, Paul, why do I do what I don't want to do? Why do I feel what I don't want to feel? Why is my soul so downcast? Why am I that way? And then he says this, my last two verses, Romans 7, it says this. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. See, he's dealing with, my spirit is saved. Paul's spirit was saved. 
but his emotions, there's nothing good in me. If I leave my emotions up to me, there's nothing good in me. Hello, somebody. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I, I cannot carry it out. And then he goes on this thing, and he talks about who will deliver me from this, this feeling of shame and condemnation. And then we turn the page to Romans chapter number 8. And he says, but there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, you can do better than that. There is no condemnation. There's none. Matter of fact, I want you to do this. I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to give the Lord a great hand clap because there is no condemnation because Jesus paid the price. Come on, let's give the Lord a good hand clap. There is no condemnation. There is no shame. Come on, there is no condemnation. None at all. And when you start telling the devil, no, 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 there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm in Him. And God sees His perfect Son, the Son that He is pleased and loves. He sees me in Christ Jesus. Now through this whole series, I want you to notice one final thing. That God never dealt with Elijah's depression. He dealt with Elijah's soul. He gave him soul care. I double dog dare you to take care of your soul. Take care of your soul. Feed your soul. Feed your soul. Worship. Read good things. Quit reading bad things all the time. Put some good things in your soul. Right, everybody? I want to pray. And uh, with heads bowed and eyes closed, i got to let you get out of here. But I want to do something this last time. Matter of fact, while I pray, I just want to do, just let, give me a song and just let it start playing real soft in the background. And There's enough people here tonight that I could ask this and you can feel a little bit camouflaged in how many people are here tonight. But if you'd let me, I'd like to pray for you. And... If you're here tonight and you just need some soul attention, some soul care, some soul healing, this is my last weekend on this. Matter of fact, I'm just going to do something. It'll only take us two minutes, all right, everybody? Two minutes. If that's you, you say, I need some soul. It might be depression. It might be discouragement. It might, I don't, I don't, that, that's what it is is of no interest at this point. You just need some soul care. If that's you, would you slip your hand up all over this room and say, that's me? Okay, I'm going to do one more thing. I'm going to do one more thing. I never do this. Come on, this is Saturday night. We're a church family. I want everybody to just look at me. I've stood on this platform, and I've told you, Ken Hubbard, I dealt with depression so much that I wanted to leave my post. I wanted to leave my calling. I stood on this platform and told you my wife dealt with anxiety. What I'm trying to tell you is that this has to be a safe place that we can bring our insufficiencies and our hurts. And if I can stand up here and tell you, hey, I got some issues. I want this to be a place that we break the religious guard that we can't allow anybody to see the chinks in our armor. So tonight, I'm believing God's going to set some people free. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. You don't have to. It might be awkward because we never do this. But if you need some soul care tonight, I'm just going to close in a general prayer. But if you need soul care, I want you to make one step toward God. And I want you to come stand across the front of this place just signifying, God, I'm tired of where I'm at. I'm ready to step into soul care. Remember, Wait, before you do, remember what he told Elijah? Elijah came to the mouth of the cave. And God said, what are you doing here? And then God began to speak in a still, small voice. All I'm trying to do is duplicate our physical movement to an emotional healing. Would you do it? Come on, right now. Turn that music up and come stand with me across this place. If that's you, come on. Come on. Just come. Don't, don't worry. If you're not physically able, that's okay. But if that's you, come on. Just fill in all the way across here. Come on down in here. Come on down. Come on. Come on. Turn that music up a little bit. Come on. Just come on down. Just, I want everybody to get right in here. Right in here. Good. That's it. Now, would you just let this song flood your heart for a minute? God, we need a move. 
There is no shame in standing here. I stand with you. I stand with you guys. Our emotions, the enemy attacks them, especially in this season that we're in. But he wants to speak to you right now. Let him speak in that still, small voice. Just a couple minutes. So, Father, right now I pray for my friends that are standing at this place. It took some humility, God. It took some faith to step out. And so, Father, I pray supernaturally right now. God, it would be like Elijah stepping into the mouth of the cave and you begin to speak to him. God, I pray that joy would be restored. I pray peace would be restored. I pray, God, that you, whatever the issue is, that you would just bring soul care right now. That you would heal. That you would mend. That you would breathe your voice into my friends. And God, by this simple act of stepping out physically, I pray in Jesus' name. God, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Heal our soul, just like you did David. You restore our soul. God, restore our soul. I ask it now for my friends in Jesus' name. If you'll believe that healing, say amen. Come on, everybody. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap again. Come on, really, just praise Him for it. Come on, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I got to let you go, but don't you, listen, don't you think something bigger had that? Remember Elijah? It wasn't in the earth and the wind and the fire. It was just in a simple move. We need a move, right? Come on, high five somebody on your way out and say thank you. Come on, just high five somebody. I love you guys. God bless you. I'll see you next weekend.